0: Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foot.
1: Welcome into Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Broadcasting live from the FCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. FCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. simulcasts on Stadium 32.3 and 133 on LUS Fiber. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. 706-0111. Yeah, you know, lots to talk about. Look, it is Tuesday. It is not the Monday after the draft, but any. We're not going to spend nearly as much time on the draft unless you just want to discuss a lot of – certainly feel free to continue the discussion on that. But I want to start with the NBA because the NBA kind of took a back seat last week because, you know, of all the – other, mostly because of the draft and other things going on. So I do want to discuss it. You know, you got to take the fun results when you get them when the kevin durant trade was made you know the phoenix suns were declared by many as the favorite to win to get to at least to, to win the west and get to the finals and i um it's not over but that is um good to see and again i i've never hated the phoenix suns but you know the the whole, you know, getting Kevin Durant and everybody making him the favorite, I I'm going to naturally buck against that. And so I kind of like it. And we've talked about it here and there throughout the season how the Nuggets get zero national respect and everyone just assuming they're going to fall apart once they get to the playoffs. So it would be nice to see now, you know, I hope the Lakers win it all, but if the Lakers don't get there, I hope it's I hope it's the I hope it's either the Sixers versus the Lakers, which would be a good old school uh, NBA final, or the Sixers versus, Sixers versus the Nuggets. That's what I hope happens. We'll see. Now, the Celtics all year long have looked great. And, like, they got beat twice by the Hawks. They got taken till deep into the fourth quarter in another game. And then they get beat. By the Sixers on their home court last night without Embiid, so they're showing some cracks. I mean, that's pretty nice. Um, we don't think a lot about coaching, but I don't know. Are there is is their coaching good? I don't, you know, I don't know enough about their coach to have a strong opinion. But man, they are getting blasted for their for their late game. Um, play calls and and, and and execution last night so that that's great to see um trying to think like James Harden scoring 45 points like that would be like in a playoff game without their best player that would be like I don't know. Like, somebody who had a decent amount of success as a starter, but he was kind of – he's late in his career, and he's relegated to, like, a you know, a long reliever and a bullpen guy here and there. And the starter gets hurt, and he comes into a playoff game, and he throws, like, a shutout. <laughs> throws a four-hit shutout, you know, like Pete Monroe throwing a four-hit shutout in a playoff game or something. You know, or, like – for the Braves this year, like Colin McHugh's in the bullpen and Schrider gets hurt and they, they call McHugh up and he throws a two-hit shutout over nine innings. I mean, that's what last night was. It was like, what? Where did that come from? Um, you know, Hardens an an easy guy not to like. Even when he was in his heyday as an as a player, he was a perennial or had the reputation of being a perennial postseason joker. I mean, I you know, I still say early in his career he cost OKC a, a title back when I liked Durant and pulled for him. Um and you know, he he's done so many things that most NBA fans just it just kind of turns them off. And so it was uh it was As shocking a performance as you can get, one of the things that I thought was interesting, you know, one of the things that made his performance so good, we've seen guys like, especially Harden in his heyday where he shoots a million shots and scores a bunch of points, but he was 17 of 30 from the field last night and 7 of 14 from three-point land. Durant was 2 of 12 from three-point land. Durant scored 24 points, but he was 10 of 27 from the field. He played terrible. So that's good to see. And I think Chris Paul's not doing great either physically. So one of the things that was kind of a unique deal, Jokic scored 39 last night. Both Jokic and Harden were 17 of 30 from the field last night. They had the same amount of shots, and they made the same amount of shots. So both teams won. So um I don't know I th- I thought that was for me anyway both games went my way last night in terms of what I hope happens in the NBA and I I just don't know if the sun I think the 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 stat of the night from the NBA to me um is the Phoenix Suns bench scored four points four. So, that's a pretty good telltale sign that, I don't know, I mean, teams have overcome being down 0-2, especially losing them on the road, but I don't know, are they deep enough to do that? I don't know if the Suns are deep enough to, to, to win four to the next five. I, I don't know if they're deep enough to
2: do that. Well, especially if if, if Paul's not fully healthy and yeah. some of those other questions, it's, it's going to be uphill battle, but... Um... I do still think, like, look, in the Denver thing, and I know we've talked about it before, like, I think it was warranted for you to doubt, for people to doubt Denver, just because we saw it. It's not like they're a team that hasn't been there before, and we didn't know. We've seen them get there before with a really good record and and not play well, but I am happy for them, kind of, and again, like, let's not get ahead of ourselves. We'll see what happens game three, four, five, and and on, but yeah, it does look like maybe they're able to finally get over that hump, which... Like, sometimes we, we see teams knock it over. Like, Portland was a team that was pretty good for a while, but never really got over that hump with Dame. You know, they had one run where they made it to the Western Conference Finals. And so, it would be kind of cool to see a team finally get over that hump. And I guess Milwaukee's a good example of it. They got over it a couple of years ago, Well now they're kind of back stuck on the other side of it. But uh, that is interesting to see, you know. And Milwaukee was a team that did it with the core intact, and Denver has a chance to kind of do the same thing. Like, not having to... You know, bring in a guy like Durant. And again, those franchises don't necessarily get the same opportunities to do that type of thing like teams in Los Angeles and New York get to do.
1: Murray was shot terrible last night. He was 3 of 15, scored 10 points, and they still crushed Well, him. Denver won –
2: I mean, Denver won – which how often do you say this in the NBA nowadays? Denver won the game on the defensive end. Like, they played very well defensively. And then I also think it's always funny, again, how much are we going to say that team played poorly on offense and how much are we going to say that team – defended well. I think it has to be both when a team only scores 87 in an NBA game now, but Denver gets after you on that side, at least at times, and last night was a good example of that. And Ayton, I just don't think Ayton has anything for Jokic, and so like they're going to have to figure something else out. We just talked to Ali Cassell in the last hour, and he doesn't know. Maybe they try to go small. He's thinking it's just I don't know what they're going to do about Jokic, so if, you're, if you can't stop him, then you better have really good games from Durant and Booker, and Chris Paul better be Healthy enough, that's that's really all you're, you're going to have to outscore him if you can't stop Jokic. By the
1: way, have you heard, because I'm, I'm nowhere near an NBA expert, not even in the same conversation, like, what is the deal with the Heat? Why are they I, – I did think all season that they kind of underachieved because, you know, it seemed like they were a little ahead of, as a franchise, of what they did in the regular season this year.
2: But, like, wh- where is this coming from? No, I mean, like, and, and to your credit, like, everything I've listened to is there's nobody who's going, yeah, I kind of saw this run coming. Like, that's just not, like, this is as surprising a run, I think, as we've seen in, in a very long time because, and the other thing, too, is I think at least some people, you might sit there and go, well, okay, it is Miami. Like, they played pretty well a couple of years ago. They're a pretty good team. They got a good coach. But, like, they weren't very good this year. Like, they just weren't a great team. They were, they were ranked dead last in offense in the regular season in the NBA, 30th out of 30 teams. And they beat the Bucs. And, like, again, it wasn't all that close. They beat the Bucs in five games. I mean, that's insane. And I guess a big part of it is Jimmy Butler has just found a different level. And I guess some guys can do that in the playoffs. Um, But still, one man shouldn't be able to beat. Yeah, well, then the other. Well, that's the craziest thing is that guy options number two and three are out for them. Like, it's Adipo and Harrow are gone. So you're now, like, going to these fourth and fifth and sixth guys that again weren't good during the regular season like that's why they weren't a very good team because those guys weren't good they're playing well and jimmy is like when they need a boost he's doing whatever it takes and i mean the but knicks, if the knicks can't get the finals i mean to the eastern conference finals yeah right? you've yeah, got an opportunity conference in front of finals, you certainly yeah. but again the knicks are a team that we feel like is is maybe a little bit ahead of schedule so i don't know if they're ready for these types of moments whereas while well, why miami, is miami ready well, at least Miami's got guys who've been there, done that. Yeah. This group together has made runs. So, But, again, they are not as good as the other groups that made runs. So it's it's a weird – it's a very weird year in the Eastern Conference
1: playoffs. Look, I love when things aren't chalk in, the, in this NBA postseason because on the Eastern side, we kind of all thought it was pretty chalky because it, it had every ingredient of being a, a chalk playoff all season long in the East, not in the West. The West has been – I mean, I guess you could argue Denver, but I, but but there's people have so little respect for Denver that even though they were kind of the dominant team all year, no one really bought it. Well, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe it's time um, that they do at least. we'll at least so far. So no, I'm I'm just saying for me anyway. Um, now look, I, I think, and I, you know, I don't expect the national media to not do it, but the whole. LeBron versus, you know, it, it, it's it, it's the historic and the legacy and all of that. It you know, it it and and I mean, Steph is a great player. He's in his own category. I mean, Steph is like they're gonna start. You know, people are gonna have all these historic discussions about comparing them. I mean, it's hard enough. I'm I'm so od would on the Jordan versus LeBron argument, but it, it's hard enough to compare those two. Then, like Steph is, it's it, he's the the most unique player superstar in NBA history. So, like, I mean, how do you compare him to any? I don't even know how you do it. I, so I I think it's futile to do, but um, obviously it's going to be um. It's going to be fun to see what happens in that series matchup-wise. Forget about all that, uh, you know, historical, where it all falls historically. I mean, very few players have ever had the impact those two players have had, ever. I mean, you can call it whatever you want and rank them however you want. It's all semantics almost. Um, But, you know, people have been saying that the Lakers are a threat and – I was like, well, I like hearing that, but is it really true? And Dawson was like, eh, that that ain't the case. And I I was kind of agreeing with Dawson, but they're in a pretty good position right now. So we'll see. Maybe, maybe, Maybe they were right on that deal. We'll take a timeout and be back. Stay tuned.
0: This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros
1: Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin foot on the game. Again, the game hotline is 337 706 0111. 337 706 0111. All right. If you have any thoughts on the NBA playoffs, we kind of, again, it kind of took a backseat last week because of the draft and wanted to comment, especially since it kind of went my way. It's easier to talk about stuff when it goes your way. Um,. Last night kind of went my way and kind of didn't, having to do with the Astros. They won the game. Dubon had another great night. I mean, it's unbelievable with Mauricio Dubon. First of all, it's hard to not like Dubon because he looks like a 12-year-old. He reminds me of, although he's not chubby at all, he reminds me of the little Hispanic kid on the Bad News Bears who just smiled all the time. Like, he has that... Little boy, 12-year-old, just smile, a great, huge smile, and he just looks like he's having a ball out there. So it's hard to dislike him, but he was so terrible at the plate last year, like just terrible. And they talked in the offseason like he – um, he talked in the offseason. He, he supposedly put on like 20 pounds and – hit the weights hard or whatever and, and got a little stronger. And it's not like he's driving the ball out the park or off the wall, but he's just hitting line drives to the opposite field repeatedly. You know, I mean, like if Altuve was playing, he'd have more extra base hits probably, but he wouldn't be playing because Altuve a lot of times is a slow starter. So, like most of the Astros are. And, and so... Like we can say, well, Altuve's not playing, but I don't I don't think Altuve would have played this well over the first month. So he's outplayed what I think Altuve would be doing, other than Altuve would probably have a few more home runs, extra base hits. But um now he swings a lot. He he's like Altuve in that way. He's not like a walk machine or anything, but man, he's gotten big hit after big hit after big hit. So Look, the Astros didn't hit the ball well that last la- that well last night, actually, but they scored seven runs. And right now, you just want to get all the wins that you can get. Um, I don't know how many more rehab sp- starts Brantley needs, but he's been doing it for over a week now. Uh, McCormick's on a rehab assignment. The interesting thing is, since McCormick's been out, all of a sudden, our friend in center field, Jake Myers, has decided he wants to play baseball now. Like, he, he, he kind of tweaked his swing and got a little bit of a leg kick, and he's hitting line drives all over the park all of a sudden. I don't know where that's
2: been. I don't know why all y'all hated Jake Myers so quickly. Because he was so terrible. Yeah, but he barely got a chance. He just was coming back off of stuff. I, I don't know. Like it's I, sh- had a lot more sample size of him not being great hitter with his previous stops in his career. But right, Myers like it was a very small sample size. And I'm not speaking to you specifically, but like a lot the whole fan base after the first three games was like, why don't you just DFA? No, well, because.
1: McCormick
2: I know, was I like a it. World
1: Series hero
2: and right. his popularity I, and I, I know and everybody's going to have their emotional reactions, but I was just like, kind of, pumped. let's just wait around. Like, he just looks like... <laughs> I don't, I don't... He just has a bad look him. He's a good him. player. He does a lot of... And I think I said that at the beginning. He's a good player. He does a lot of good things. He doesn't have to play every day, but I think he's definitely good enough to be on the roster.
1: Look, I just want him to get hits, and he's been getting hits, so I'm okay. I don't have to like him. I, I, I can think he looks like a doofus. It doesn't matter. I mean, I just want him to do well if he's in an Astro uniform. That's so what I tried to explain to my daughter Riley, whose favorite player is she calls him Rin McCormick. And so, like I, I said, I understand that's your favorite player, but it's not about your guy. It's about the team. And so, um, so no, he keep he's doing well that and that you know last night another injury. He, he, here's what bugs me. Okay, so. Two nights in a row, you get two starting pitchers going down. So now you get the headline criticizing the Astros for not addressing pitching in the
2: offseason. What? I'm fully agreeing with you. I don't know how you can even. Like, they had
1: seven starting pitching. Who had who had seven starting legitimate starting pitching coming into the season in the whole major leagues? Yeah, and, and it, so they were supposed to go out and spend a bunch of money on pitcher number eight and nine. Like, last what does m- that even mean?
2: Last week, everybody, well, what are you going to do when McCullers comes back, and you're going to have too many guys? <laughs> like, and I think I said it on this show. These things kind of work themselves out, and I'm not happy that two guys go down in a week, but like these stuff, they it works themselves out, like. It's like when you've got all these, you know, in, in football and they're talking about, where well, they got all these running backs, and, and then usually one of them gets hurt and then it doesn't matter anyway. But yeah, they I don't know that I don't I don't think the Astros
1: were negligent in not addressing pitching in the offseason. They have more pitching than anyone in baseball. So, like who else addressed their pitching in the offseason and so they can now have five great starters after they lose two? And first of all, we don't even know how long they're gonna be out. You know, as long as they're back, you know, if they're back in a month, if they're back by the All Star break, both of them, they're going to be fine. I mean, I, I, I this whole knee jerk of all the astral they negligent, they, they 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 didn't address, they didn't get enough pitching in them, and that's just stupid. I I I just don't understand that. Like, what were they supposed to do? Put a bunch of money into into their eighth and ninth starters? That's just crazy. And and I think it's a it's like people don't even know who Hunter Brown is, but some of these people should. They, they absolutely know who he is. I don't get that reaction. All right, let's go to the game hotline. Hello.
3: Morning, foot.
1: Good morning, sir.
3: Man, you know what's so glorious about this morning? That. You look at the standards and the... Uh, the Yankees are in dead last place. You know, I, I, I think I think that fits them perfectly. I think they should stay back there for a little while. You know, just kind of hang tight. You know, and just just stay right there. They look good in last place. You know what I'm saying? You know, just like I said, it's a it it, it, it was only a matter of time. Aaron Judge was going to get hurt. You know, and by the way, he said he might as well. Make best friends with the bench because he's gonna end up back on there again. I mean, a guy, a player with a frame that big, you know. I mean, it's only a matter of time, you know. But it's glorious seeing them darn Yankees. And granted, I know it's early, you know. I know it's early, but it is—it's it's a beautiful thing when the Yankees are in last place.
1: I—I uh, didn't pick him, uh, Martin. I didn't pick him to finish first or second. In their division, because I didn't trust their bullpen, and their bullpen is worse than I even thought it was so far.
3: Well, not, not only that, their pitching rotation is not all that good either. You know, I mean, it's basically almost the same pitching rotation that, you know, they had last season, you know?
1: Well, but, it's uh, injured. Their starters are injured, but their bullpen, I just, even totally healthy, I, I just don't, I don't know how good it is. I, it doesn't look good.
3: Right. Now, I heard you. Uh, you were mentioning the Heat, and that you know you were surprised that they were doing so good and all that kind of stuff. Don't forget, I, if if I can remember right, the Heat were in the Eastern Conference Finals last year. You know they kind of made another run last season. You know I mean, and 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 I think people need to start kind of giving Jimmy Butler where credit where credit is due. You know I mean. He's carrying that team on his back. I mean, with this with, with basically nobody on that team. Now, I'm gonna leave you with this. Your your gold your golden girls are not going to the finals. Cause if anybody can beat them, that's in the playoffs right now, is the Warriors. But for that to happen, Klay Thompson needs to shoot better than he did last game. You know, Jordan Poole needs to step up a little bit. You know, and and Looney Looney needs to continue to have games like he, you know, uh, he had. Uh, in Game Seven against the Kings, you know, with the rebounds and everything, but uh, I mean, people people forget that the Warriors are the defending champions, you know, and they're not going nowhere until somebody, you know, takes that crown from them. But thanks for taking my call.
1: All right, take care, man. I know I understand he hates the Yankees. He's supposed to hate the Yankees, but he's he also needs to relish his Red Sox had a great victory last night. I mean, that was a great victory. Don uh Dante. Um Bichette went five for five for the second time in a week. And they still won the game six to five. That was a that was a nice and and you know, some of their young players are doing well for the Red Sox. Again, it's May the second, but I I had a feeling. Cause on paper the Red Sox look absolutely atrocious going into the season. They really did, and don't get me wrong, I picked them, you know, at the bottom of the division. But I, but I also said that it would if they won the division, it wouldn't shock me. I mean, I, I thought that was the only division where you could make a case that everyone in that division could win it. Now I don't think they're going to win the division. Don't get me wrong, but it will not surprise me if they at all if they have a winning season because. Every once in a while, just when you count the Red Sox out, they they do better than you think they're gonna do. Um, and so, no, they're they're off to uh, for as bad as their roster looked going into the season, they're they're off to a a, a decent start. But again, I understand it's early. They don't have enough pitching. Uh, there's plenty of room for pitchers to get hurt. Plenty of time for that. Sales been seems like. Has had some really encouraging starts, and then he just has looked dreadful in others. So, uh, you know, and that's, you know, not uncommon early on. Some guys, you, you know, you get off to slow starts, or it just takes a while before you get where you're going to be. But uh, no, it's, uh, I, if I was a Red Sox fan, I'd be a little more encouraged than I thought I would be a little over a month into the season. And, again, I think the Yankees are – the Yankees lineup is going to get better if it gets healthy, so I wouldn't worry as much about the lineup. And the starting pitching is going to get healthier. I wouldn't be as worried about the starting – but the bullpen, I just – they're going to have to do some serious work at the All-Star break, I think, to get their bullpen where it needs to be. All right, we'll take a timeout. Be back.
0: This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is Footnotes live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
1: Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. The game hotline 706-0111. 706-0111. If you would like to get in, we talked about the NBA. We talked about the Astros, a little Major League Baseball, college baseball. Cajuns don't play a game in midweek, which is probably good. I Look, I've never made a schedule, so I'm sure there are tons of factors that I'm not taking into effect, but man, I mean, once you get to May, I just, I don't like midweek games in this late in the year. I I would just try to figure out, of course, somebody, a scheduler would probably say, well, you don't like five-week games and you don't like midweek games in May. I know, that's what I'm saying. There's probably factors I'm sure I'm not factoring in, but. I just, I don't know. LSU plays at Southeastern tonight, 6.30, before taking on Auburn over the weekend. Auburn is, we'll be talking with Koki tomorrow as to plan more about this, but Auburn is, you know, tied with Alabama, kind of middle of the pack, 9-12. Uh, and 12, You could argue maybe a little bit below, but they're in the middle of the Western Division, tied with Alabama, a good team. Certainly not one of the five or six better teams in the league, uh, so you know, we'll see. Uh, at last two weeks, midweek games didn't go well for LSU. We'll see what happens uh, in this one. Is there a worse scheduled game ever than the softball, the Cajun softball team playing at Tech tomorrow night? Like, give me a, a, a game that was scheduled in the history of college athletics as worse than that one. What, what,
2: why, why is that?
1: You're on the road to Ruston in the middle of exam week, and you're playing a, the final conference series the next day.
2: Well, uh, I mean, I think it's, again, it's it's one of those, they wanted another game, and, and they're in the area, so they went and played it.
1: Ri- it is, but it's like, that is not a fun trip to Ruston
2: yeah, well, I mean, listen, Monroe. like not if the, they were sure, playing the trip either.
1: if they were playing it like McNeese and it was an hour there and just I mean, I would think that they shouldn't, say, but Rustin, I don't know. you <laughs> know the that is an awfully scheduled game
2: while we're on the subject, you know, and again, we've talked about how much it matters. We've talked a lot about how we shouldn't really talk about it that much, and then we keep talking about it. So that's on us, but, uh, Sure looks like the streak's going to live on another year. I mean, you know, and I guess maybe I shouldn't say that, but I have pretty good confidence that they're going to beat Monroe two out of three. So it's it's kind of crazy to sit again. The, the conference was as good as it's probably ever been. and It's not
1: as top-heavy, but it's probably deeper.
2: Yeah, and, I mean, they they found a way. There was a couple of – I mean, certainly the, uh, the Troy win looked dicey for a minute there, but here they are again. You know, I think some people –
1: forget it wasn't you know I don't know when when was it I'd have to go back and look it was over 10 years ago but there was a year where Western Kentucky was really good in fact they won the league and the Cajuns were really good and South Alabama was really good so I don't think I think in terms of the top three I don't think the conference right now is as good as the top three in that league. But probably the 6th, 7th, 8th-place team in the conference now is better than whoever was 6th, 7th, and 8th back then. So I think that's, from a depth standpoint, that's fair. But, um, no, it's, look, if they sweep Monroe at home, and again, Coach uh, Glasgow brought it up in yesterday's presser that, remember, last year they got beat, was it last year or 2 years ago i think it was last year they got beat at home on a uh on senior day and it kind of ruins the the whole festivities when you get beat it was kind of like on uh this year they got beat on senior day it, you know that that uh that that when they had the little ceremony no what what game was it i remember no it was alumni day it was alumni day and they got beat at home, and, and he was just, stint. you know, he had that that feeling that you get when you, you know, you get beat and the season's over kind of look. And obviously it wasn't over, but that's just how he felt. Um, by the way, we, we, we didn't mention LSU on the softball side. They're, they're in sixth place right now. They're finishing out against Georgia, who's in second place. Coach Glasgow brought up an interesting kind of mentality or thought process yesterday, and I agree with him. He's like, essentially what he was saying was probably a lot of Cajun fans were rooting against South Alabama a lot last week. He's like, he was rooting for South Alabama to win, not for South Alabama to lose, rooting for South Alabama to win because you want them to have the highest RPI they could have because you beat them three times. In other words, he's trusting that he's going to take care of his own business against ULM, which he should trust that and think that way. Not not to say that it's impossible they could lose, because certainly they could lose. But the, the best thing for the Cajuns is that South Alabama wins as many games as they can. So you have three more wins against a top fifty team. And so kind of the same way with LSU. Like if you're the Cajuns, you need to be rooting for I know there's some Cajuns that never root for LSU fans. I, I get all that, but for a second, let's put that to the side. If you're an L, if you're a Cajun softball fan, you should pull for LSU to win in softball because you have a win over them. You want them to be um you know their RPI is fine it's, it's not that it's going to hurt LSU tremendously if they lose but you know right now what what would you guess LSU's going to what kind of seed do you think they're going to get
2: uh you mean regionally wise yeah i mean they'll be at least at the worst a two seed obviously um they could... Well no you
1: don't think they'll be like 10 11 12
2: right is a national seed you yeah. talking about right yeah that's what i was saying i mean uh, they'll they'll likely be a host, and they'll be somewhere in that middle of the pack, yeah. Now, will the Cajuns p- potentially get sent to Baton Rouge? That's an interesting—it's uh, always kind of what you think if they're not going to be a host thing. The good news also for you all is, is Monroe is only 119 in the RPI. So you're not going to have that, like, you know, where baseball's playing them, and they're like 240th, where you're going to have that big loss. Now, you're, you're number 10, and I think you're going to stay around—maybe you might drop to 11 or 12— for playing Monroe, you know, even assuming you beat them three times, but yeah, you won't drop that much,
1: right? Well, the good news for baseball—well, it's not good news—but in terms of the RPI, that doesn't even matter anymore. Like that ship has sailed, and so you you you, you don't you just have to worry about winning. But um, but no, it shouldn't drop that much. And you know the the flip side, and we could discuss this with Bobby a little bit when we talk in a, in a little less than an hour. But the flip side of that argument is, if you're LSU, you're thinking. If I'm LSU and I'm seated, has nothing to do with fear. It's just what's right. If I'm if I'm LSU and I'm seated 10, 11, 12, somewhere in there, I would say it's not even fair that the committee send me the Cajuns, who might be the, you know, 16th or 17th seat. I'm just throwing out numbers in in the committee's mind, even though their RPI is a lot higher than that. But you know what I'm saying? I mean, they they probably want someone who's not in the top 20 sent to them. But it, but but I don't think it's totally based on that. I I think at some point there's some geographic concerns that go into it for 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 seeds lower than one. So it's going to be um, it really will be interesting to see how they do it. Coach, no, Gla- coach Glasgow has gone into great detail and I just I just don't have the faith in the, com- the very few committees have ever shown me that they go they really peel back a lot of layers when they make their decisions.
2: But in that situation the RPI number is going to be there for you all. But like what I'm interested in is who's going to give in like I'm kind of of the mindset again it feels like they're not going to give him a host site because of the non-conference top 25 record, but who are they going to give it to is what I'm looking at because a team that's 13th in the RPI is Washington who has a loss to McNeese. And I know that's one game, but UL doesn't have a loss to McNeese and they had plenty of chances to lose to teams like McNeese. Um, you know, Wichita state sitting down there at 18. I don't think they're going to get considered, but that's a team where you immediately go, okay, if they're going to give a team in outside the power conferences, they're going to give it to UL before they give it to someone like Wichita state. So, then you have a bunch of teams in the SEC. You have Tennessee, Arkansas, Alabama, Georgia. Are all those teams getting host sites, like all six of them? Plus, again, the teams that are already yeah. – like I don't, <laughs> I I don't mean, know who you're going to give it to over UL, and if you do, you know, cage of, which, again, there's an opportunity to complain regardless because if the RPI is there, it's there. But like, I think there's going to be some real situations where you go, I don't know how you give it to Washington over UL when you compare the resumes. I just hate when people say top
1: 25 record. They don't really have much of a top 25 record. They have a top 10 to 15 record. Like, you know, I don't know. I just think it gives the wrong impression when you say top 25 record. Right. I know I, that's no, the I, category. I right. But
2: they're not playing a bunch of top 25 teams. They're playing a bunch of top 10 teams. And again, like back to Washington, and that's what I'm just going to pick on, is what what you might hear the committee say is, well, they have a win over UCLA. And you go, well, they played him three times, so they got one win. But, like, does that really matter? You all played them once and lost to him once, but does that mean, like, I don't – they played McNeese once and lost the game. So that one's going to be interesting. Like, what Washington does – and I know Washington has some really good wins elsewhere, but, like, they again, the committee's not going to value the wins over top 50 Sunbelt teams just because they're not the name brands. Whereas Washington has some top 50 wins over Pac-12 teams where they're going to go oh, well, it's, it's Arizona State or it's whoever. That's
1: why I've gone back for years. Uh, I've had a very unpopular opinion going for decades. Conference wins should go in a different category. They should not count the same. A, a win over a top-10 team in your conference should not count as much as a win over a top-10 team in another conference. should not be the same value. Conference games are different. I have always argued that, and very few people agree with me on that. But conference games are different. We'll take a timeout and be back.
0: This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Are you fluent in Footlish? Not to worry. We're here to help with the Footlish Dictionary. Benedict Arnold's. Benedict Arnold's. Now, an NFL expansion team that stole a bunch of Saints players and coaches when first created. Also known as the Carolina Panthers. Now, back to the man with his very own language. Kevin Foot and Footnotes.
1: Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. Again, the game hotline uh, for the next hour, 706-0111. 706-0111, if you would like to get in. Um, We haven't talked a great deal uh, about Cajun baseball. We will more as the week goes on. Um, They are going to – we talked to interview Coach Deggs yesterday, and you know, the more and more you look at this team, it is just unbelievable. The season they've had is just been so crazy. It's like they're the kind of team that every time you think they're dead, they come up and they play great. And then every time you think they're really good, then they just play a game that you're like, "Why did that just happen?" Like that they, they they are in. You know, kind of the way we were discussing it, it's almost like they're everything that's good and bad about baseball all rolled up into one team. Like, they are just a hard team to figure and to, um, you you know, I, they should, I didn't expect it, but I think they outplayed Coastal, but they didn't win. You know, they just, they didn't win the series, and yet they played Really well. Obviously, they played better against LSU than Most people were expecting them to. And then, you know, so that's what worries me a little bit about this. I think so many Cajun fans are going to just assume that they're going to go to ULM and sweep. And if they go to ULM and sweep, should you be surprised? No, they're better than ULM. And you could, you could argue that they should sweep. And I think it's easier to sweep a team late in the year when the injuries or the, you know, whatever, all the negative aspects that can happen to a team kind of begin to mount against on, on certain teams. But, you know, to Coach Dex's point, I mean, I'd have to look at their schedule. They beat someone. They're not undefeated. I mean, they're not winless. They beat someone in the league, so they've obviously played some good games. And, again, this is baseball. Teams are going to play good games here and there. And when Coach Degg says, we've proven this year that we can beat anybody in the country or lose to anybody in the country, that's pretty close. Like, you know, they beat the number one team in the country on the road, and James Madison is nowhere near the worst team in the country, but I think his point is that they've played games where they didn't look really good. They've played at a really high level at times, and they've played at a really low level at times. And so it's just – I would just warn against – because, again, I know I look at baseball – sometimes the in the game of baseball – It's just different than the other sports. I think sometimes the game beats you. The other team does not beat you. The game beats you. And so I I just think when people look at baseball with a football mentality, they're just disrespecting the game or they just don't understand the game, which, again, there's nothing wrong with that. A lot of people don't understand the game. But, again, baseball is just different. And, and i don't think softball is totally like baseball but it's a lot like baseball uh I think softball the parity is is has increased dramatically to i think it's way better than like the women's basketball the lack of parity in women's basketball which is which has made big strides in recent years it seemed like but it's still like softball it's way more like, you know, way more high at a higher level of parity than, than than women's basketball is. But in that like the good mid-majors can beat an elite team. I don't think there's too many good mid-major I mean, I just think there's a huge gap between that mid-major level and the elite level in in, in basketball because it's a five-man game. I mean, you know, there's five players on the floor. It's there's not as much that goes into. You have two or three great players. It's hard to match that up, um, and so it's. It, I think it's very different. And but so softball is not like baseball in that way. But again, I. We'll see. I mean, they've got exams this week. They're coming off as heartbreaking a loss as you can come off of, and so we'll see how they respond. But I just. I would guard against. Oh, they gave up 35 runs, and so they're going to be an easy team to beat. I, I, I just you got the game beats you sometimes. Uh, I mean, and you can hit uh, a ton of balls. Like last night, the Astros didn't really swing the bat that well. If you, I don't know if you, you know, if you may not have seen the Astro game, a lot of you probably didn't, but they didn't hit the ball well. They hit a bunch of balls that were barely hit. They just found holes. I mean, that's that's what happened. They, they, they hit a bunch of balls that were not hit hard at all, and sometimes you just crush balls, and it goes right at people or they make great catches. That's the game. But last night, the, the Astros didn't hit a bunch of home runs. They didn't crush a bunch of balls. They scored five runs in the seventh. They hardly hit any balls hard that whole inning, and they scored five runs. And again, that happens sometimes. That's baseball. So it was the game that went that that favored them last night. They didn't just completely crush it or just execute all that great. And the reverse can happen. That's why I just be very wary of all that. One hour down, another hour to follow. Stay tuned.
0: Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foot.
1: Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot broadcasting live from the EFCO Development Studio in Upper Lafayette. EFCO Development is a civil construction company. That specializes in new multifamily construction. Simulcast on Stadium 32.3 and 133 on LUS Fiber. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. 337-706-0111. We talked uh, quite a bit about the NBA in the first hour. If you have any reaction to uh, any of that, certainly feel free. we talked... A little bit about the Astros situation with some injured um, pitchers and the reaction to that. Um, the speculation is that France might be called up, and we'll see how he does. Um, the name that's been floating around Astro minor leagues for years, and I, you know, I've, I kind of vowed to to never mention him again, but. Forrest Whitley, great name, but he has not had a great career. And you could argue he's never really had a good year. Even for so his reputation and his production certainly don't match. Or his perceived potential and his production certainly don't match. Um, you know, Block, he's like at times he looks okay that he just kind of tends to lose it sometime. He's probably more of a long reliever, which is what he, the, the role he filled last night, than thinking that he's an option to, you know, be a, a a fifth starter in a pinch kind of situation, which, you know, if both Garcia and Urquidy are out for any amount of time at all, Um, and then, you know, especially until McCullers comes back, uh, you know, you, you, they're going to be looking for someone else. I, I don't know that he can do that role, but I'm sure he could, you know, it's possible he'll get a spot start here or there. Uh, and you know, his long relief has been, was he, he did his job last night. He didn't get lit. I mean, he didn't pitch fabulous or anything, but he Gave up a two-run homer to Jock Peterson, and that was about it, you know. So that you know, you can live with that. Uh, and then he went like four innings or something. So, you know, we'll 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 see how he does. So certainly, we don't, we haven't talked we we haven't talked that much Astros at all because we've been so NFL, you know, college baseball, NFL draft talk in recent week weeks, but it's um. It, i think major league baseball's off to a pretty exciting start overall the of course if you root for a team that's doing terrible then you would probably disagree with me i get that but a lot of great individual performances and i you know we'll see how the races m- play out but i think i think we're in for a pretty good baseball season very encouraging start
2: Yeah, Pittsburgh's fun. And of course also the story with, you know, the longtime minor leaguer Maggie, who was called up and then he gets a couple of hits, which looks like he's going back down afterwards and he gets a couple of hits. So, you know, some of those feel good stories. But the funny thing is like the Pirates and that story was like kind of what you'd usually hear on a team that was terrible and was giving a guy a chance. They're they're very good actually right now. And they got that story in and he was able to kind of come in and fill in. But guys like that and of course Tampa being as dominant, they they haven't really cooled off much. I mean, they lost yesterday, but after the Astros kind of cooled them down, they they heated right back up again. So, you know, that's intriguing. The entire AL East is even five hundred or better. I think. Um, so, you know, we kind of we we did kind of see that coming to an extent, but how long does that stay uh, the way it is, and who separates themselves? I guess other than the Rays having already separated themselves a little bit. A lot going on. And then the AL West is going, to be, is going to be interesting, too, because the Astros, you know, you figure as long as they've got as many injuries as they are, they're not going to separate. Um, so they're kind of hoping they can tread water long enough to get their guys back, is at least my, my look on things. So does yeah. Texas find a way to kind of keep things going? Again, DeGrom hurt again, as he always is. And the thing
1: about the Pirates is the perceived best player on their team was their shortstop, well, other than Reynolds, O'Neill Cruz and he breaks his ankle with this awful slide. Seemed like that was what about three weeks ago or so, and and they just keep winning. It's funny the Astros haven't played all that great this year, but their series wins they have are against the Blue Jays who have a lot of wins, the Pirates, who have a lot of wins, the Braves, who have a lot of wins, and the Rays, who have a lot of wins. And everybody else they've played don't have a lot of wins and they've lost all those series. <laughs> just- Again, that's that's that, that's baseball. So certainly any of those subjects, certainly feel free to give us a call, 706-0111. Uh, some news broke yesterday about Cajun football. That was not good. It was ironic. We were having a discussion at work yesterday with some coworkers who are Cajun fans, and they were like, I just can't even believe that how little movement or how few players the cages have lost in the transfer portal. And then, you know, like right at the deadline, like right before the deadline. Kind of reminds you of um Cedric Russell on the men's basketball side right before the deadline, like the last day he decides to to go to Ohio State. Um and, obviously, that's more crushing roster-wise because, you don't, you know, you only have so many players on a basketball team. A football team's got a ton of players. Not that it's a good loss because I guess there's a lot of different ways to look at it. You know, they like a lot of their cornerbacks, but they're, with Trey Amos going, entering the transfer portal. They lost Eric Guerra, whose eligibility expired. And now you've lost Trey Amos, or it looks like you, you have, in that he entered the portal, and he's already put out that he's got offers from people, you know, SEC teams like Florida and Alabama. So you figure he, he he's not going to enter the portal and then turn down offers from SEC schools. But um, and we were discussing this before. It didn't hit me until it was till Raymond said it before the show. I'm kinda surprised that Makai Gardner because he, he didn't get drafted because, you know, he transferred from UL to LSU, essentially to get drafted, I guess you could argue, or to increase his draft stock down the road. He played better at LSU than I thought. I mean, he played a bigger role at LSU than I kinda thought he would. And he's got the size and the You know, he's got a lot of skills and didn't happen. I I didn't even – that kind of went by me over the draft weekend. I'm like – when he said that, I'm like, well, that's true. That's kind of a little bit of a a surprise there. Um, So we'll see what happens. Again, Trey was a high school quarterback at Catholic High, and he was a good cover guy. You know, I joked he had one more interception than I do. So he he isn't a guy – not all great cornerbacks – get a lot of interceptions, but I think he was a really prime. I think they thought he was going to have a big year this year. And so certainly not good, but we'll see if they have enough depth. You know, they've recently moved some cornerbacks to safety. Maybe they could always move a safety back to cornerback if they need a little more depth. So that's what the offseason and, and training camp or August camp will be about. Let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Good morning. What good morning, you sir. Back? Hello. Hello. Go ahead, sir.
4: Hey, Kevin. You know, y'all yo, were talking about baseball. All these teams that are coming out of nowhere. You know what? I think Pittsburgh and Baltimore. You know, they they were like the Astros five or six years ago. They accumulated all these top picks and all these players are coming through, coming up in the majors. And uh, I think that's what's making a difference for these teams.
1: Well, I, I do think that you know they they. I think Baltimore's got a, some special young players potentially. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I. I don't know. Like the Pirates, that one surprises me way more than Baltimore. I, 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 when the Astros played them, you know, I don't know how good some of these guys are going to be long term. But man, they are having a lot of fun and playing with a lot of spirit. No question.
4: Oh yeah, there. I feel pretty good. Was that the That guy right there looks like he's going to be good, Kevin. You know, Kevin, you heard about that pitcher from Baltimore? Has retired. He's a relief pitcher retired all 21 batters he's faced so far?
1: And it's not Bautista.
4: No, it's that other guy. He's a setup guy. This guy here looks just as impressive as Bautista when he's on the mound. He's gotten out every batter he's faced so far. He got, he, he's only got one save in that in that thing, but every batter he's faced, he's gotten out. I don't know. I think this is a major league record so far. I mean, I, he was up to 21. I don't know where it's at right now. I can't even pronounce his name, but if you look at their route, you see That's which funny. one it is.
1: You know, it's funny I mean, because even when they were really bad like two years ago, when the Astros faced them, like they had some relief pitchers that, yeah, I mean, they just dominated the Astros. So they've had better arms in their, in, in their bullpen in recent years than their record overall record indicates, and it sounds like they got another one.
4: Well, you know, they, they even traded one that was good last year, that yes. Lopez with Minnesota, and he's doing good at Minnesota. Look, got a, they just have a lot of talent. And I think they're like the Astros. They need these players to come into major leagues, you know, and things like that. But, Kevin, don't you think all these rules changes are benefiting all these younger teams that are able to steal
1: more? Well, sir, yeah, I would think younger, more athletic teams, yes, who who don't have big egos and whose agents, you know, aren't really, can't really, don't really have much of an argument. So, that, yeah, they can run. I, 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 I can buy that, yes.
4: Yes. I, I just like the way the new rules changing the games, Kevin. I think it makes it for, for a, a way more exciting game, buddy.
1: Hey, y'all have a good day. Take care. And Gonsolin last night. The, the punk scored 13 runs. The man needed one more out. He loads the bases with two outs, and they didn't let him get one more out. That's what happens when I – draft punks on my fantasy team just cruel and unusual punishment is what that is they won 13 to four or something the starting pitching could go five innings of course he is coming off an entry so I guess that maybe that's something to do with it still not on a pinch count but I guess they don't want to push him too much maybe they'd they're, you know they don't have as many. They're they're used to like leading the league in wins, and so they've had some rough stretches this year. I guess they didn't want to push the envelope too much, but uh. but um no, I th- I think there's a lot of again it it's still obviously very early, but I I think it's there's a lot of things setting up that could be a fun finish way down the road um um for for, for baseball. And I think, you know, uh, I know everyone picked the Padres, and I know why they picked the Padres. And I I don't think it's going to be as easy for the Padres to win that division as a lot of people are thinking. But, again, that's why they played a game. All right, we'll take a timeout. Come back with more.
0: This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Are you fluent in Footlish? Not to worry. We're here to help with the Footlish Dictionary. The Lil' MVPs. The Little MVPs. Now, a Major League Baseball team that struggles to win games despite having multiple MVP winners on its roster. Also known as the Los Angeles Angels. Now, back to the man with his very own language. Kevin Foote and Footnotes. On the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
1: Welcome back to Footnotes. Again, the game hotline, 706-0111, 706 Just to fill in the gaps from the FedEx man, the, um, the pitcher he was referring to is, I don't know how to pronounce it, but it's Yaneer maybe, Cano. His last name is Cano. Most baseball fans are familiar with that name. But he's pitched in nine games, 11 innings. Not only has he given up a run, not giving up a run, he hasn't given up a hit or a walk. So in nine outings this year, covering eleven innings, he struck out twelve, no hits, no walks. I don't know if he's hit a batter. I didn't look. I didn't see that. Uh, and he has two saves. So it's a small sample size, but off to a good start. Phil Maton, until he got gave up a two-run homer to Kobe Clemens over the weekend. By the way, Kobe Clemens hit two home runs against the Astros over the weekend. Kobe Clemens. But um Maytown was kind of off to one of those starts where he hadn't given up anything. Uh over I don't remember how many outings it was, but he he gave up a long big two run homer that uh, kind of delivered the coup de grace to the Astros on, on, on Saturday. But no, good good start. And again, it's um It's early, but to FedEx Man's point, the Orioles have some good talent, no question. And they, um, I mean, Rushman, I think is going to be—he, all signs point towards him being an elite player. Um, Speaking of players that were good and have played well, I—if you remember last year's trade deadline the guy that I wanted the Astros to pick up was Sean Murphy. And Stevie P kind of disagreed with me. And I and look, let's be very glad the Astros, a lot of people were talking about Contreras. Let's be glad that didn't happen. But I wanted Sean Murphy because he's better defensively than Contreras. And I think even though Contreras had a better history, he, he's a better offensive player. And um, when the Braves got Murphy, I'm like, man, he's good. I mean, see, because I thought the Cardinals had gotten Murphy, and I remember telling Coach Marlin, who is a big Cardinal fan, that they got Murphy and how good he was. And there and there was a report out that they had gotten Murphy or were going to get him, but it was it was premature. It didn't happen. He ended up going to the Braves, and, man, I just think he's really good. Just, you know, I'm not saying he's like the best catcher in the league or anything, but uh, he can really hit. The Astros just struggled to get him out when he was with the A's. I just never liked having him up in big situations um, in his time when he was with the A's, so I'm not surprised at all at what Sean Murphy's doing. But I also want to get back to um, the the Trey Amos discussion. I think – Is it bad that you lose anyone? Yes. But in this era of the transfer portal, to only lose one player in this phase, I don't – I think that's pretty good. And I also think there was a lot of negativity out there last year. A lot of people saying a lot of things really negative when the Cajuns got off to a, a rough start about the new regime. And if all that stuff that you heard was true, don't you think it's fair to say there'd be a lot more than one person in the transfer portal and that one player was like on the last day? So it wasn't like he couldn't wait for the period to start and he just jumped ship. You know, he did it on the last day. And so I, I just, I think it's a sign that while last year wins and loss wise did not go like you hoped or like you wanted, again those of who look at sports like I did were like, "Look, you, you, your record was what? What was it? Twelve and one in one score game. You you can't continue to do that. It just doesn't happen that way. It just that wasn't going to continue. It was foolish to even think that that was going to continue. And of course, they went zero and four in one score games this year." Because they were just due to. I mean, I didn't know they wouldn't win any close games, but I've, the fact that they had a losing record in close games after unbelie- being unbelievably fortunate over the previous three year two or three years, is, was not a surprise at all. That's what you should have expected to happen, but. The point is that, that's, that we talk about being result-oriented. That's more result-oriented. In terms of the direction of the program, the fact that they've lost so few players in the transfer portal, to me is at least somewhat of an indication that the players still believe in the direction of the program. So I think that's all a good sign if you're a Cajun uh, football fan. Now, again, you know, that's kind of the macro view of this, the p- position-specific view of this, they're probably not going to be able to come up with a player who has the physical skills that Trey had at that position because, look, he, he didn't throw, put up a bunch of interceptions, but he still was a good player productive player for three years, did his did his job for the most part, and you could tell he had a bright future. He had a lot. You know, that first year, he was just learning on the fly. He was going to a new position. But think about how gifted athletically you have to be to play as much as he did as a true freshman when you're going from a high school quarterback to playing cornerback at the Division One level. So he is um, was talented. And, you know, there's no question he's gonna be missed. But I also think they've done a good job of recruiting and they've got good young cornerbacks there that, you know, the depth will get tested some. You know, we we it's you know, spring football has over, been over with for a few weeks now, so it's not like uh we're gonna talk a whole lot about spring football. But the the most and we're going to be bringing this up again when we get to August, when camp starts, or at least when we get to Sunbelt Conference media days in uh, in late July. The single most interesting thing that came out of the spring to me, well, obviously the, the whole only have one quarterback was a unique thing, but I'm talking about moving forward, was that they were going to be able to do – more man to man, even though they lost Eric Guerra Like they were they were gonna be more there was gonna be more press coverage was was the was the message we were hearing. And I wonder with Trey leaving, is that gonna alter that approach some? And I'm wondering, I mean, I gotta believe Trey Amos was a big part of that mentality or that approach. And so it'll be interesting to see how much that changes once they get into camp in August in terms of what they're trying to do. So, again, just trying to put that news from yesterday into, into some perspective. Um, no question, talented player. You know, it's a local player. Look, I, 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 there's no use sugarcoating it. Coach Dez is very different than a lot of coaches. This isn't just a business transaction for him. He, I don't know that he knows how to operate that way. I mean, this, like, in the world of college sports today, it's almost like professional sports for a lot of people. It's like you they just view it as free agency. And you you know you're going to lose players in free agency. It's just part of the business, and you just it becomes a number, and you just you just say not that you want to lose players, but you know what's going to happen, and you have to just be able to move on and deal with it. They become a number. It's not like that for Coach Diaz. I'm just telling you, it's not like he takes this stuff really personally. It's not a business transaction for him even though it's probably safer for his own mental health for it to be, to, to adopt more of a, it's a business transaction because that's the direction that college sports is heading in right now. He is nowhere near there yet. So I, I look, I don't believe this is easy for him at all. You could tell he, he was really upset last year when they lost all those players and some of them he expected, but some of them kind of blindsided him and, he takes this stuff personally. Like, this is, he's passionate about this stuff. And so it's, 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 I'm sure it's hard for him and some of the coaches. And, you know, I don't know, like, Coach Morgan as well as I know Coach Dez. And, But Coach Morgan seems like a pretty passionate guy to me, too. And he probably, you know, I I don't think they view this like a lot of coaches view. This is not, it's a business, but I don't think they view it quite as much of a business like most coaches do. They're into the development of kids, and they're into the relationships behind all of this recruiting and the depth charts and all that, more than most coaches. And um so this is tough for him. I mean, I, I, you, you know, if you know Coach Des, you know how difficult it is for him. But they'll, you know, they'll move forward. I mean, it's, there's nothing else you can do. It's just the reality of the situation. But I do think it's a very good sign how how small that number was in the transfer portal, and we'll see how they figure it out moving forward in terms of the cornerback position. All right, let's take a time out. We'll come back. Shift gears to Cajun softball with our friend Mr. Bobby Nova next. Stay tuned.
0: This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is Footnotes live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
1: Welcome back to Footnotes Kevin Foot on the game we have with us our friend Mr. Bobby Nuva. How are you sir? Uh,
5: I'm good. I'm good. How are you doing this morning?
1: Oh, you know, it's uh you, you, sports is crazy. It can give you good news and bad news. The Astros had a nice victory last night.
5: Um uh, we don't want to talk about the Yankees.
1: Astros had a nice victory last night but then got another pity Two games in a row the Yankees the lost a starting pitcher. One of them's already on the other on the IL and we haven't heard yet on the second one. But I wanted to ask you since you brought up the Yankees. When you, you you've been traveling a lot lately, does that help distract you when the Yankees are on a bad jag like they are now or no or no? Yes, it
5: does. I don't I don't have, you know, the time to watch them and the way they're playing right now, it's it's probably best. I mean, uh, last night I got home and I watched the eighth and the ninth inning, and it was complete disaster.
1: Like, w- what do you think is wrong? Like the the closer, he's just pitched terrible this year.
5: Well, he's not a closer, you know. Obviously, um, he wasn't that great last year as a closer, if you if you really stop and look at it. But um, they need a closer. They need some starting pitching. They need some outfielders. They, they need a lot of things.
1: I, I still think the offense, if it gets healthy, will be fine. I still think the starting rotation, if it gets healthy, will be fine. Uh, look, Herman, look, you know, I'm a glass half full guy. And so Herman pitched great last night. So that was, I think yesterday was an overall positive day for the Yankees because your starting pitcher pitched great. The thing that I, the reason why I didn't pick you to win the division or finish second division was the bullpen, and I'm more convinced that you got bullpen issues now than I did going into the season.
5: No doubt about it. I mean, you just uh, Herman's got. I think he had a one hitter going into the ninth, got the first out, and then a soft line drive to, to center field for a hit, and they pulled and he was only at 88 pitches, and you know. Hindsight, you probably should have left him in, but it is what it is. I just hope they're not, you know, 20 games out of first place when they get start getting some healthy p- uh, players back, but it is what it is.
1: All right, before we get to Cajun softball, I just want to get your overall reaction. I'm sure you heard certain things and read a few reports. Um, overall, please, not please, don't know on the Saints draft.
5: Really, really didn't have a whole lot of time. I did get to see some of the draft on uh, on Thursday night. It was so late by the time the Saints, you know, we were in Eastern time. Yeah. By the time they made that first pick, it was uh, it was close to midnight. So I uh, didn't get to see a whole lot of the draft. But, you know, from what I'm reading and, and from what I heard you uh, yesterday morning, uh, I kind of feel the same way as you do. You know, they addressed the positions they needed to address and just going to have to wait and see what happens. You know, right now, my main concern is raising kids in softball.
1: No, I understand that. I get it. Um, All right. So I think there's, you know, from day one, you knew this at the beginning of the year, you knew this was going to be a brutal schedule. And certainly you wish you would have won more of the games against the top 10 to 15 kind of competition that you played. But and all the position changes and all you know this player you know did way better than you thought and this player didn't do maybe as good as they did last year and all of that upheaval that we've talked not upheaval but the you know the ups and downs and the trying to the big jigsaw puzzle this season has been don't you feel like or am I off base here a little bit that there the that all of that is much more settled and much more where all the ducks are in a row than than it's been all season long right now.
5: No doubt about it, Kevin. You know, uh, I think Coach Glasgow is kind of, and Coach Show and Coach, Le- you know, the entire coaching staff. They've kind of uh, fallen into a, a, a pattern where they, they, they know how they're going to use each kid, and, and you know they're still using 13, 14 kids a game. Uh, you know, a lot of those kids are, are continuing to get some playing time, but they, they've defined their roles and. For the most part, I think the kids have accepted their roles on the team and going into the games, they know what's going to be expected of them. They know when they're going to be coming in and and what their roles are going to be. And I think it's, it's helped, you know, the chemistry of the team. And I'm excited about where the team is right now. And, you know, if you look back, Kevin, at the beginning of the year, I looked at the schedule and I said, uh, if we could win 43, 44 games, we would be in pretty good shape and, and we're in position to do that now we may not have won as many of the games as we wanted to win and you know back in February you didn't you had Maya Davis missed about what 10 games or so and uh, Lauren Allred wasn't in that lineup yet and, you know things could have been different but they're not different and we are where we are and I'm looking forward to the postseason I, I really am and uh, looking forward to that game against Louisiana Tech tomorrow and clinching that Thundell Conference regular season title this weekend.
1: You know, that's a good point that I had kind of forgotten about that Coach Glasgow brought up in yesterday's presser, that not all the games, but in that when they went to Florida for that big tournament, um, Maya and Lauren, who were two of their top four hitters, weren't even playing then, really. So...
5: And Lady Crater wasn't really playing that much either back in February. If, you know, I don't remember how many at-bats she got in that, in that Clearwater tournament, but uh, I, I don't remember her getting a whole lot of at-bats. And so, um, you know, at February was kind of, you know, nothing was really settled. And every time, you know, every game we had a different lineup. and But uh, everything's. Seem like it's settled into place now. And I think the Cadens are are ready to make a a, a nice run in the postseason. I think they they know how they're going to use their pitching staff and they know how they're going to use the roster. So, like I said, I'm looking forward to it.
1: All right. The great unknown from, you know, we all do it. We assume that if a player was really good the year before, they're going to be really good the next year. Uh, And it doesn't always work out that way. Like three of the top hitters last year were Stormy Konsolnik and Matty Hayden and Jordan Campbell. Well, they're not three of the top three or four hitters on the team this year, and yet they're still there. How important, how likely and how important could it be that we have at least, even if it's a small sample size from here on out, that one or two or three of those girls start to return to the level of hitting that they were had last year?
5: Well, if you look, Kevin, if you look at the stats, you know, over the last month or so, uh, we've kind of seen the Jordan Campbell and the Maddie Hayden that we saw from last year. And Maddie's you know, done such a good job at third base. But offensively, I think the last month or so, those two kids have have come on and, uh, you know, they've been uh, instrumental in in helping the Cajuns win some games. Now, Stormy, not so much. You know, Stormy continues to – to struggle when she gets some at bats. And boy, it would it, it sure be nice to get her to turn it on, you know, uh, for the last weekend and, and for the postseason. But uh, I kind of like where Jordan and Maddie are, you know, in the last month or so. Do you think. How much of
1: that do you think now that they've, like. Being going from one position and being so unsettled for, on the defensive side of things for those two, kind of getting over that mentally maybe has played a role in their hitting getting better.
5: I guess it has. You know, you know, Maddie's a very mentally mentally strong kid, and and you know, and Jordan is too. And um, I, I don't know. That's, that's a tough question to answer. But I mean. When you get comfortable and you know you know what your role is going to be during the game, I guess it gives you less to think about, you know, and and you can you can be a little bit more focused in your at bats, I guess, Kevin.
1: All right, from your perception and all the years you spent around college softball, we're all guessing what the committee's going to think because you know, I think every committee is at least a little bit different. How important do you think it is that McNeese and South Alabama finish in the top fifty, or do you think that's just something that we talk about that in the end is not going to really matter very much?
5: I think there's still a slim chance for us to host, and if those two teams end up in the top fifty, it would certainly maybe help us, you know, a little bit hosting. But, um, you know, if I were to bet today, I would I would say that we're going to be a two seed at LSU, you know kind of looking back at history, and uh, we we didn't go to LSU this last year, so I think it increases our chances that we end up there this year. And, of course, that's just a guess like everybody else.
1: Right, but if you're LSU, and let's say you end up with a 12 seed, I'm just throwing out a middle number, like – is it fair to LSU that the, the Cajuns get sent there because of just geography? I mean, I think that's a two-way street. It's not – like some people say, well, LSU's not scared of the Cajuns. I'm didn't. i not saying they are. But I'm talking about the fairness of sending a team that is in the discussion to like a, 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 an 11 or a 12 seed. How do, how do you view that?
5: Well, I don't think it's – I don't think every time they ever sent us to LSU, it was fair to LSU if you look back. I mean, I'd have to look back at that, but I mean, I can remember some years where um, I didn't think it was fair to LSU that we went to LSU, and you know, we were able to go there and win the regional, and but um, I, I don't know. I don't, Sometimes I really don't know how to with the committee thinks or how they think, you know, and, and they continue to prove that to me each and every year.
1: Absolutely. Uh, uh, again, I, I had I could be wrong, but it just seems like. So much of what they do and the rationale that they give is a self fulfilling prophecy. They just do what's convenient to make whatever agenda they have that year. It's just really strange. But
5: Yeah, and I feel the same way and that's why, you know, that's why I said, you know, there's probably been some times that we were sent to a certain place where it wasn't fair to the host that we were sent there because of what you just said, you know?
1: Coach Glasgow said yesterday that he's at the point. Whatever happens, he's willing to accept, and you just go play. And that's probably the best mentality to have going into this. Or you just keep banging your head and and let bitterness creep in. And maybe bitterness can be motivating, but um, it's probably the best mentality right now.
5: Yeah, Kevin, I think you know. I think Coach Glasgow, the coaching staff, I think the team—they're all in a good place right now. Uh, you know, they proved last weekend. I think they showed Coach Glasgow that they. They can win in, in in a lot of different ways, and um, like I said earlier, man, I'm just excited about the postseason. Now I'm sad that the the season, you know, in a month or so, we're going to be done. So that makes me really sad.
1: Well, then you can focus on the Yankees then. <laughs>
5: well, hopefully they're playing better than they're playing <laughs> right now. All right, sir, we appreciate well, if you. If, t- not, if not, it's going to be a long summer, my friend. <laughs>
1: No, they'll they'll do better. Just got to get healthy. Thanks for the call.
0: Okay, friend. See you later. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. You know the routine. Eat, drink, sleep, and sports. All day every day you're listening to the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles southwest Louisiana's sports station
1: welcome back to footnotes Kevin Foot on the game one of the things i did not get to talk to we just kind of ran out of time, and that's okay. Uh, can't get everything in, in one segment. Having to do with, with Bobby, that Coach Glasgow brought up in yesterday's weekly press conference – was that the tournament format is a little different. They they've gone through all kind of different ways of doing this over the years. I've always thought it was a little cheesy and Coach Glasgow thinks it's a lot cheesy to where you have two teams come from one bracket and you play double elimination and then once you get to the finals, for T V purposes, doesn't matter whether you lost a game or not, you play one game. So it's like it's double elimination until you get to the finals, then even if you, one team has one loss and other one has no losses, then it's no longer double elimination. There's something that's a little unfair about that. And the primary reason to not play a dumb elimination in the recent way of thinking is it's kind of like this new high school trend of playing just one round of district play. You don't want to have to play too many bad power-ranking games against a team that might be towards the bottom of your division. Now, that could still happen because some team in the Sun Belt could pull off a couple big upsets, and all of a sudden you're playing a team with an RPI of 170 or whatever in the finals, but not as likely this year.
2: Yeah, the only thing I would say about the double elim and and like the loss thing, and I understand that it that does make no sense when a team has one loss and another team has none and they play. If you at least have separate brackets early, where you have two separate four team brackets that are double elimination, and then the two teams that win the brackets. Like obviously, they if they have to play the extra game, it would be in that quote-unquote bracket championship game as opposed to the overall championship game. But when everyone's coming out of the same bracket and the team that comes out of the loser's bracket then just plays, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. But at least when you have separate brackets, because that's kind of comparable to like if you lose a game in the regional, but you end up winning the regional and another team wins their regional without losing a game, it's not like that team starts the super regional up 1-0 because they haven't right. lost a game yet. So I think if you separate the brackets, that kind of gets rid of that. But yeah, we're talking in the break a little bit. It's kind of funny. I imagine, I don't know if that's why they did it, but you imagine maybe they did it because they wanted to get the less power-ranking games. But now, with the RPIs where they are of all the top five or six teams, it probably wouldn't have hurt you to play a couple extra games against Marshall, who you haven't played, and South Alabama, who's got a pretty good RPI.
1: Yeah, I I think, um, look, You never know what's going to happen. You remember the 2014 baseball team got beat by Jackson State. If that was a single elimination event, then their season would have been over. And they ended up winning because it wasn't. So could the Cajuns get beat in their first game in the tournament? Of course they could. Uh, And then, you know, at that point you're like, well, why isn't it double elimination? We have the deepest pitcher staff and we're the number one seed and we're the whole seed of, you know, the whole – You know, I guess there's all kind of ways to look at it, is my point. But Coach Glasgow said yesterday, it's just like, if that happens, that happens. And, you know, you just don't lose. I mean, you know, that's kind of what it is. And also to his point, they're in the conference tournament either way. So I guess, I mean, uh, regional either way. So I guess if they get to the finals or win it, it could help them. But it's also possible that it's not going to really matter what they do in the conference tournament. uh, We we may never really know that for 100%, but I think it's very possible that unless they just get beat by some team with a really high or, I mean, a really big number for an RPI, I guess I should say, that it may not matter anyway. But it's just interesting how they – we keep – Tweaking it based on the results, it's kind of like years ago in basketball for the Sunbelt Conference tournament. They had that we had that period where Middle Tennessee kept winning the conference the regular season, and then they get beat in the first round. And so they then they put in the double by, and you know they it's like we keep gimmicking up the conference tournament to suit where the team the power teams are at that time. And I guess there's nothing wrong with that in that you're trying to do what's best what you perceive is best for your conference in the overall picture that also, and we don't have a really time to get into this, but I would say it anyway. That's also always been my argument against like more in the college football thing where they say, well, how can they be in the college football playoff? Uh, They didn't even win their own conference. And my argument always was, Conference matters or conference matters, and national matters or national matters, and never, you, you, in other words, until everyone, until everyone. Decides their conference champion the same way and has the same conference schedule and everything's the same like it is in the NFL. It does not matter how you none of that matters what you do in conference. In my opinion, that's why conference mat local matters are local matters, national matters are national matters, and the two should never be confused. And way too many people, in my opinion, do that. All right, appreciate Bobby coming on in the phone calls. Y'all have a nice day.